It looks like we may be prepping for the next leg up. If you look at the Bitcoin chart, we had Bitcoin at about 21,400. In this show, I'm going to show you one or two indicators that you haven't seen before. I promise you that you haven't seen them before. And they're really, really, really positive indicators. One of them has got to do with the S&P. The other one has got to do with Bitcoin. And I've got one extra indicator, which actually shows you that institutions are the ones that are driving this pump and not the retail investor. And if that's the case, then that may mean that there's a whole lot of money coming into crypto. Also, I want to talk about that over there, the elephant in the room. And the question is, should I invest in the new venture that Kyle and Suzu from Three Arrows Capital are going to be launching? And I know initially your answer is absolutely not. What the hell are you thinking? But I don't know. I want to show you one or two things that I've seen that, I don't know, maybe change your mind. Maybe you should invest. That's what we're going to talk about today. Fuck out of bed, bitch, go. Get up, get up, and then they got go talk. Gotta wake up, gotta wake up, bitch, get up. Get up, get up. Get up. All right, wakey, wakey, rise and shine. It is uh, 21378 on the Bitcoin price. I think that we may be seeing another leg up. I'll show you why I think we may be seeing another leg up. Um, we've got a huge show today. We're going to talk about Bitcoin. We're going to talk about Ethereum. We're going to talk about a whole lot of other altcoins that are actually running. We're going to look at Suzu and Kyle's new venture, which they initially called GTX, and decide whether it's a good investment idea or a bad investment idea to invest uh, in GTX. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much what we're going to do on the show today. It's going to be a very, very fast, very, very high alpha filter. Because remember, we promised to bring you the highest alpha crypto show on the entire internet. That's what we promise you. What you're going to do is very simple. You need to subscribe to this channel. I don't know if you saw that, but today we're on 596,000 subscribers, which means that our channel is one of the only channels that is actually growing in the bear market, thanks to you guys. But then I need your help again. And the reason why I need your help again is because, again, we are shadow banned. The only thing that gets us out of the shadow ban, and you, you would have noticed that we're shadow banned, because you would have seen that you don't actually get notifications for the show anymore. And the reason why I don't get notifications is because YouTube is thinking to itself, we don't want to circulate this content. So I need you to help me. I need you to smash the like button, subscribe, give us good, give us love if you like what we're doing in the comments. We are going to talk about Gala Games. We are going to talk about GTX. I see you guys in the thing. We are going to talk about El Capo, who's salty. Um, I see all of you. I see Bantagol. I see Benny. I see Angelo. I see Charles. I see Ricardo and Nunes. I see you too. I see everybody here. So let's do this. We're going to have some fun here today. Um, remember, <clears throat> if uh, I, I mean, I know you haven't forgotten. I know you haven't forgotten. But... I've loaded up my BitGet account, ready to take trades. And you can see, bang, Bitcoin is now over 41,451. Uh, I've got money in the account, ready to take some trades. Um, why? Because we are giving away the two Rolexes. That's the Bybit Rolex. That's the BitGet Rolex. Now, I want to just 
talk to you about something. So we got the watches. The watches are here. You've seen them. That's the one. By the way, I love this one. Um, this one's a bit more classic. It's the classic Submariner. I love it. We are giving the black one away to a BitGet user and the, the, the blue and gold one away to a Bybit user. Every time you trade between now and the end of Feb, you get a point. Each one of them is an entry into the competition. The more you trade, the more you can win, the, the more your chances are of winning. And if you want a chance to win one of each of the Rolexes, open a Bybit account and a BitGet account. But here's the elephant in the room. I noticed that Sheldon Show, the people that are watching Sheldon Show, are signing up for this promotion much quicker than, than, than people from my show, which upsets me a lot. I thought you guys wanted to win the Rolexes. So let's show Sheldon Show, people who watch Sheldon Show, let's show them that we can also do it. Sign up for Bybit, sign up for BitGet. If you're already signed up with one of our referral links, then you don't have to sign up again. It all works, and every trade that you do gets you into the competition. All right, that's it. I promised you guys that I wouldn't talk uh, a lot. Let's quickly look at the market. There we go. I said to you, as we started the show, I said to you, I think Bitcoin's ready for another leg up. Here it is, 21,450, coming down slightly. I'm going to show you why this pump is actually driven by institutions and not by retail. And if it is institutional money, then it could be much bigger than we think. I'm also going to show you one, one indicator that may be a huge indicator that the worst is over. And I think you're going to love it. So let's quickly look at the Bitcoin chart. If you look at the chart, we are facing major resistance at the moment, which is actually no surprise. So let's look at where the resistance is. It's that resistance over there. Sorry, my line is slightly skewed here, but let's just raise it slightly and raise that line over there. This is a big resistance level. And you know why this is a big resistance level? Because you've got to look at where this resistance actually came from. And this resistance, if you look at it carefully, actually came from here. What happened on the 5th of November? Well, this is the FTX collapse. So this is the resistance to go about the FTX collapse. Now, I was quite surprised when Bitcoin went over the 200-day moving average in one shot. That was super surprising. I thought that, as Ivan said, that the opponent would, would make us fight harder. Um, but right now, it looks like we may smash this, this pre-FTX level, which I'd be surprised if Bitcoin broke both levels. If Bitcoin broke both breaks both levels, then for me, this is confirmation that we're game on. But there are still people who hate this pump. There are still people who are calling it down. Um, the, G, the GMX uh, long-short ratio, the, the longs are six times the shorts now, and they, you cannot go long on GMX anymore. So that's, that, that's, a, that's a big one. Um, Tash, Tash Lab says, for the first time in two months, my market breadth indicator is overbought. So she's saying the crypto market is overbought. But <clears throat> what you can see is that generally when her market breadth indicator says overbought, could be a long time where, where, she's, where it's overbought before it actually dumps. Now, it's just the first overbought market indicator. You see that? So it's, it could be a long way to go before the market actually comes down. Let's jump to the ETH chart. Um, ETH also broke through or sliced through this 200-day moving average like butter. It was like, it was like as if the 200-day moving average didn't exist. It was like a, a poor opponent, if you want to call it that. Um, ETH now almost touching $1,600. The reason why I'm talking about ETH is if you believe that this pump will last, if you believe that this pump is real, if you do, then you could be saying that since Bitcoin and ETH have broken through the 200-day moving average, that the next altcoins will also start breaking up of the 200-day moving average. So you want to talk about altcoins? Holy shit, let's address the elephant in the room because now I'm really down after this green candle. So my trade on Bybit, probably down about $12,000 now. As I said, I'm not too worried about this trade. And the reason I'm not too worried about this trade is because 
as I said, my portfolio has huge gains in the last couple of days. And this is my only losing trade. I am going to try to get out of it because I don't like being in trades that are against what I believe in the market. And right now I'm super bullish. So I don't want to be super bullish and be taking a bearish trade. So I'm kind of looking for the opportunity to get out. I think there will be a pullback when the pullback comes. I'm cutting that short because fundamentally I do believe that, you know, AVAX is good. I bought it. I shorted it because I just thought it had run too fast. And then the market turned against me. Um, Let's jump into some other altcoins. So uh, we've got, you know, I think this guy's right. He says, look, if you are bullish about altcoins, you can kind of see where we are. He says, look, I wouldn't rush into long any new positions uh, thinking you're out of time, but maybe I'm a, just a dumb trader with way too much PTSD. But I mean, that is perspective on how much we've recovered. Okay, this is, this is, this is perspective on how much we've recovered. So let's look at it. Let's look at some of the other altcoins. So the first altcoin I think we need to look at is Gala. Gala up again. Um, Gala has been absolutely amazing this year. So look at Gala. Um, if you look at what day is this? This is on the 5th of Jan. So 5th of Jan, 7th of Jan, which is 10 days ago, Gala was trading at 17 cents. So if you would have invested in Gala at 17 cents, you would have made 215%. You would have tripled your money. Um, and that is driving up all the metaverse tokens. So Gala is leading all the metaverse tokens. So, and that is the metaverse index. Now, for those of you who don't know what this, this metaverse index is, it's called the MVI, the metaverse index. And what it is, it's a it's a it's a a fund or an index of all the metaverse stocks. So you buy the you buy the MVI and you get exposure to a whole lot of metaverse stocks. Let, let's actually see if we can quickly see what these metaverse stocks are. So it's Alluvium, Axie, Sandbox, Decentraland, Engine. Um, wax rally, et cetera, et cetera. You can see what you can see what they are here. And you can see the weightings and whatever else. Now, I'm not saying to you that you should FOMO into this, but I am saying that if you don't have time and you want to get exposure to a whole lot of metaverse tokens, and you don't have time, we don't have the expertise to to cherry pick tokens. And this is maybe a good way to get some exposure. And if you look at this tweet over here, um, you can see that this metaverse index actually just broke up. In fact, Sheldon uh, spotted this and uh, it, it just broke up. Um, let's look at some other altcoins. I did look at FTT, FTX. I did say to you guys yesterday, probably worth a short. Um, it was the 265, I think, when we spoke about it on the show yesterday. Back down to 228. Long term, I think this thing's going to zero. I'll show you, I'll show you a few times why. I think this is going to zero. So... Um, for those of you who took the short, well done. Uh, congratulations. Hopefully you took it on Gains, which is our partner uh, and one of our sponsors. Um, let's look at some other charts. So it's a big week for the macro markets, huge week for the macro markets, massive, massive, massive week for macro markets. I'll show you why. First reason why it's a huge week for macro markets is if you look at the S&P on the one day, it's reached a massive support that it, that it, from, that it started in December 2021. So it's now touching on this massive support. Now, two things can happen here. One, it can break this support and break straight out of it, or it could touch here and be rejected. And the same thing is happening with the NASDAQ. So if you look at the NASDAQ, also about to hit this massive support. And then after that, it's going to be, uh, it, it's either going to go up or down uh, there. But it's a big week for the S&P. And I'll tell you why I think it's a massive, massive, massive week for the S&P. Something's happening tomorrow. And 
what's going to happen tomorrow is going to affect the Dixie. So let's look at the Dixie. The Dixie has been collapsing. It's now under 102, which is huge improvement for the Dixie. But something massive is happening tomorrow, and specifically it's happening in Japan. I spoke about this yesterday. And you can expect huge volatility as a result of what is about to happen tomorrow. So don't be fooled by this lack of, of, of movement in the market. In fact, I think that is why Bitcoin will break out, is breaking out, uh, et cetera, because of what's going to happen in Japan tomorrow. So let's quickly talk about what's happening in Japan tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> okay, so uh, in Japan tomorrow, you, you can see that people are, there's a lot of one day, there's a lot of volatility in the, in the Japanese yen. And the reason why there's a big uh, uh, volatility in the Japanese yen is because the Bank of Japan adopted this thing called yield curve control. And what they did was they fixed interest rates at zero. They said, look, in Japan, there's no interest rates. End of story. Okay. Um, and they did this to try and get economic growth. Now, recently, what's been happening in Japan is that they've been buying. They bought 13 trillion yen in, in Japanese bonds to hold this, 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 uh, this yield curve control. Problem is that they can't keep doing it forever. And so tomorrow there's a big meeting. And in this meeting, they're going to decide if yield curve control remains in place or whether they're going to release, release this into the market and start having, having a more open market. Now, when it comes to yield curve control, if they abolish yield curve control, all of a sudden there's going to be a whole lot of new dollar capital flying around in the market. And if there is a whole lot of new dollar capital flying around in the market, let me give you an idea. I think Japan has about 15 trillion US dollars or something like that or, or worth of bonds. Now, if they put those back into the market, all of a sudden we're going to get a whole lot of, of um, uh, uh, liquidity in the market. So this article says, actually, it says, Bitcoin is primarily concerned with the dollar liquidity conditions, rate of change, and the quantity of money in circulation. This will be positively affected if we get the QE in Japan and likely lead to an up only again for risk assets in Japan. So this is happening tomorrow. We've got to keep our eyes on the Dixie, which is this chart. Someone says everything's dumping. Wow. Okay. Everything's pumping. The only one that's not dumping is the one that I'm short. Dump, baby. Dump. Go down, go down. Come on, come on. I see you. I see you. Go down. I see you. Okay, we'll 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 go back there. All right. So that's that's what's happening tomorrow in Japan. Then we have another big um, indicator which shows us that maybe 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 the worst is over. And I want to show you the indicator first, and then we'll talk about it. So this here is the indicator. And what you can see here is this is a fractal of the S&P the, in yellow in the 2008 crash and the 2022 um, crash. So this is the way up and this is the way down. Now, lots of people, including Michael Barry from The Big Short, said that the S&P is following the same fractal or the same pattern that it was following in 2008. And they said that if this happens, what you could see that there would be another very big leg down from here. In fact, um, it would have been something like a 30% down from here. But what happened recently is that the S&P decoupled, the, the current S&P decoupled from the pattern of 2008. And this is big because 
this could mean that people like like Michael Burry actually change their thesis. They may turn around and, and, and change their thesis and say, you know what, if this is the case, then we're actually we're actually maybe bullish. You can see that there's a massive divergence here between what happened in 2008 and what is happening right now. So you can see that over there. And I think that the Bank of Japan decision tomorrow might have a lot to do with it. I think the fact that in inflation is down might have a lot to do it. Um, I'm fine. I'm fine on my AVEX position. I told you, let the markets continue to go up and, and, and I'll be the happiest guy in the world. Believe me. Um, we're also getting, I saw Kramer. I saw Kramer came onto the market and yeah, he did. He said this. See, this is the only thing that worries me is that Kramer has said that he's bullish. Um, he's seeing bullish. He sees bullish signs emerging in the stock market. I would have been completely, completely comfortable. Um, until I saw this, which which is like that's 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 it. Uh, let's see. Someone's saying my short guys. Don't worry about my short. I'm fine. Even if I lose the ten thousand dollars, I promise you, I'm hundred percent gonna be fine. Um, all right, let's get into the crypto into the crypto rally. That's what you guys are here for. Um, I see we're still shadow banned. Help, help, help! Come on, guys, smash that like button. All right, let's go. Let's look at this 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 rally. Um, yesterday, we saw um, a whole lot of USDC being printed. I saw two transactions, which was about a billion dollars or seven hundred and fifty mi uh, million dollars worth of USDC being printed. That was the first one, and then that was the second one. And then what we also seeing right now is that the OTC desk balances of Bitcoin are actually going up. Now, who's buying OTC? It's the institutions that are buying OTC. Retail's not really buying OTC. And if we see such a big increase in the institutional holdings of Bitcoin, uh, sorry, in the OTC holdings of Bitcoin, over-the-counter holdings of Bitcoin, it means that there's some institutional-driven volatility in the market. So you can see that this, I mean, the last time this happened was when, when Luna collapsed, uh, the time before that, yeah, it was when Luna collapsed and, and stuff like that. So you can see that this is actually being driven by institutions. There's another um, uh, indicator which is kind of showing exactly the same thing. And it's showing that the average trade size, specifically on Binance, is going up, which means that it's not the small shrimps that are driving this. It's actually slightly bigger uh, investors that are driving this. And then there's one more indicator which is worth looking at, and that is that people that hold one Bitcoin uh, is fast approaching a $1 million mark. So imagine that's like one, you know, 1 million addresses hold at least one Bitcoin. It really is going to start putting a, a supply, a, a, a supply shock on, on Bitcoin. So that's, that's something we should keep our eyes open for. Okay, let's check you guys out. You guys are making me paranoid around my short chip. Just chill. I'm fine. Let's, let's, let's move on. All right, let's get into the story that I wanted to, to talk to you guys about. And that's the story over there, over there, over there. See, I don't know where the screen is. And that's what happened yesterday on the show. I don't know if you were watching our show yesterday. We did post it on our TikTok. I want to show it to you the guys, for those of people who weren't here. With that Kyle and Sue, it's actually true. It is it's true. It's true. Yes. Hold on. Let's, let's, wow. Would you support them? Would you invest? Uh, I'm an advisor. Wow. 
this is I mean this is getting crazy. These guys blew up billions of of the money that they had. They were completely, completely over leveraged. Then they went into like hiding, I suppose. It's not like they were going 10x. Uh, they were collateralized leverage. Look, even we got affected. I'm blown away that Suzu and Kyle Davies are raising cash. And I didn't even know that Harry even knew about this. And I found out that he's an advisor on the show. We've got to do more digging and we've got to find out what's going on with this exchange. So that was the news. It broke yesterday while we were live. So it was one of those news like items that we, we like, wow, this has happened while we were live. So that's the news. The news is that Kyle Davies and Suzu, the two founders behind Three Arrows Capital, and I think let's talk about Three Arrows Capital and what it means. So Three Arrows Capital was a hedge fund, but it wasn't a hedge fund that took client money. It was a hedge fund that only had proprietary money belonging to Kyle, Suzu, and their families. That's it. It didn't take any customer money. It never used or never commingled customer money. They went down and and they they filed for bankruptcy. They filed for, I think, chapter 15 bankruptcy. And yesterday there was news that the founders, Suzu and Carl Davies, and two founders of CoinFlex have launched a new project called GTX, which is raising a seed fund of 25 million to trade claims from creditors. And initially, there was a lot of pu- pu- there was a lot of pushback on Twitter. So if you, I mean, I just got you guys some of the of the of the stuff. Um, this is, I think, one of the founders of Wintermute, and he says, he says, since we're talking about canceling stuff, if you are investing in Coinflex Three Arrows Capital's exchange, you might find it a bit more difficult to work with Wintermute in the future uh, on the relationship building side. So they're almost like saying, like, if you invest in these guys, we're out. Then, I mean, Cantering Clark says, how are they going to operate from GTX from jail? Also a question for Sue and Carl. What is your go-to phone battery backup since most of your work will be on the run? Any suggestions for overnight stay luggage? So you can see lots of hate coming in. And naturally, Nick Carter says, GTX arsonists returning to the scene of the crime, walking buckets of water to their victims. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's controversial. Scott Melker said, imagine watching FTX fail after seeing your own company fail and then choosing to try to launch an exchange and name it GTX, which is one single letter from being FTX. Whoever's running the simulation loves trolling us. Okay, so this, that's him. Then Arthur Hayes chimed in. He said, take note, SPF, if these Muppets can raise 25 million by changing FTX to GTX, imagine what you could do by changing FTX to ZTX. Okay, so um, you might even be able to pay all your customers back. And then someone says, it's 2023. Yep, you can now post your stolen FTX collateral as collateral here at GTX. It's 2025. Yep, you can post your stolen GTX assets as collateral in HTX. And he goes on and on and on. So Twitter didn't like this. Um, and initially when I heard it, I was like, what the hell? Like, these guys raising money again? But then I got the deck. Here's the deck. Here's the pitch deck. And I read through the pitch deck. Okay? So I read through the pitch deck. What is GTX? GTX is a public marketplace. It's an exchange. It's a public, sounds like a centralized marketplace, where initially you will be able to trade claims. After that, you will be able to trade crypto. After that, you'll be able to trade stocks and lending. And in, on the fourth one, and after that, you'll be able to trade Forex and a whole lot of other things. So it's really what it is, is it's a trading platform. Instead of starting with crypto, they're starting with a whole lot of claims. And the reason why they're starting with claims is because they're saying that right now, the current process of buying and selling claims on competitive platforms is clunky, expensive, and impossible for small claim holders. Customers are looking to diversify 
exchange risk post FTX. Distressed funds can't obtain the size the size of claim they are looking for. Claimants will be stuck with illiquid lock debt, which they would like to unleash. And on the other side, there's a whole lot of buyers who might want to be buying all this, uh, uh, all these claims. And they're saying the solution is GTX. And what GTX will do is it'll allow people to to unlock FTX, Celsius, BlockFi, Mt. Gox claims, and a whole lot more. Once they've done that, they will then be able to trade crypto. So they're saying, look, let's onboard a whole lot of clients who have claims. There's a whole lot of FTX clients, Celsius clients, Voyager clients that all have claims. Use that as the customer acquisition strategy and then add crypto, stocks, uh, lending, et cetera. Let's look at, they say the market claim size is now $20 billion in market claims, which can be bought and sold, which is probably true. Um, in terms of competitors, there's one competitor or two competitors, X claims and claims market. We've spoken about these. And they say that they have a team of 60 developers with 10 years of experience operating a crypto exchange. Could that be some of the FTX people? Who's developing? Who's the team? Carl Davies, Suzu, Mark Lamb from Coinflex. Now, Coinflex is the company that fought with Roger Ver, and I think they went into liquidation. I'm not sure if they went into liquidation. So I got this deck. I look at the deck, and I'm thinking to myself, would I or should I even contemplate investing behind Kyle and Suzu? And naturally, of course, the answer is no, obviously not. These guys are fraudsters. These guys went down. These guys collapsed. But then I thought back to first principles, and I thought, hold on a second. There's nothing more dangerous than an entrepreneur who's learned a lesson. And in fact, the truth is, I would rather back an entrepreneur that has failed and learn something than an entrepreneur who's just been successful. Because generally, you find that you learn a lot from failure, and that success actually just brings breeds overconfidence and stuff like that. And so I thought, okay, let me just take a deeper look. And I'm not saying I am going to invest. In fact, I have got a call with them tomorrow. Um, and I think maybe you guys can help me decide whether it's worth even dis discussing an investment with them. So I started digging into them and comparing them to what happened and just deciding, you know, are these actually really good people? I know that, as I said, the, the current perception on Twitter is don't touch these people. In fact, when I look at tweets like this, I'll show you, this is a tweet by a friend of mine, Garlem, and he says, overview of GTX with commentary, an exchange by failed hedge fund founders, 3AC, Kyle Davies, and Suzu, along with Coinflex.com founders, Momentum6, blah, 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 blah. He says, claims market started by mainly by 3AC, which is ironic because they were the ones who took down, they went down because of Luna and all the related collapses. They took down Celsius, BlockFi, and Voyager as a result. And you could probably argue that all those collapses actually led to the, to the, to the fall of FTX. So they were at the center of this whole thing. But they, they didn't cause the Luna collapse, which, which is the one that wiped them out. She said, roadback, roadmap is basically the opposite of what was done before. They are learning fast and I'm already drooling. Financial transparency know, knows how to hide better than anyone. So doing the opposite is a win. Liquidity knows how to crunch it. Certainty, certain about the super cycle. Lots of words on this one. Hard to process it a bit. But he says, yeah, breed user loyalty and community sticks out to me. Nothing says a, 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 a community like liquidations. So he's like, he's taking the piss out of it. At the end of the day, obviously he says, no, thank you. Okay, so generally the, 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 um, the uh, consensus is not to invest. 
But then I asked myself a question. What did these guys actually do wrong? They weren't fraudsters. As far as I know, they, 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 there's no fraud cases against them. And in fact, I managed to dig up a, um, uh, uh, a video of an interview. Them. Like, I think it's worth listening to, to, a, to a couple of parts of this video. So for the first part that I want you guys to listen to is this. Realize it in the market, there are other firms out there that, that did borrow from retail and probably didn't make the right disclosures to them, did take aggressive risk management. And they, I, I mean, we've had six months since our liquidation. We have no regulatory action anywhere in the world. Um, there are others that have had, uh, you know, liquidations in the past couple of weeks that have lost its already and regulatory actions already, right? Even potential criminal stuff in the case of FTX, right? So, um, so yeah, I think you haven't. Okay, so, so, so for six months, there's been no fraud charges brought against them. So I think so if, I'm assuming that, there is, that they're not involved in fraud. And if they're not involved in fraud, well, then we should look at some of the other parts of the case here. First thing is, who are they? They are friends that went to college together. Kyle and Suzu are, are friends that went to college together. And then they were traders at, at Credit Suisse. They were Forex traders. And in 2012, they started a company with, I think they said $1.2 million of their own capital. They managed to grow that $1.2 million of their own capital into billions of dollars. And in fact, if you read Wikipedia, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know where to get more accurate information. They said that they managed about $10 billion of cryptocurrency assets, a lot of them which were loan, um, which were um, around collateralized and uncollateralized loans. But be that as it may, they managed to build $1.2 million into billions of dollars. They managed to get a seat at the table with the biggest banks and the biggest funds, and they managed to build a portfolio which was in the billions of dollars, even though it was collateralized. I want to just play you one or two parts of this interview, and you, I want you to notice the look on the, the interviewer's face when Kyle talks about the returns that their fund was actually making, their, their fund early, in the early days, their FX fund. So when, when was the, the kind of the first proper calendar year? As, as, a, as a hedge fund with no clients, uh, that would be 13, 14, when would that be? No, no to, uh, so we started in November, 2012. And so I guess the full year of 2013 would have been the first year. Okay, and I've not, had, I've not heard mention of what, what were those annual, annual returns like uh, when you were doing your FX arbitrage? Oh, uh, first year I think was 250%, something like that. Second year was 500%, uh, no down months at all. Uh, actually, very few down weeks, period. Uh, it was an arbitrage book. Watch his face. Watch his face. Mm. Yeah. We're, like, no, so no down, no down months. And, and between 200 and 500% returns trading yeah. FLs. Yep. So they were very smart guys, and they did get good returns. Where did it all actually go wrong? Well, let's go forward. And you can hear for yourself where it actually went wrong. Um it went wrong when they started taking leverage to trade the GBTC premium. So they would borrow to buy bit to buy, they would borrow USD to buy Bitcoin in the GBTC trust because it was trading at a huge discount. The way we thought about our book is we had um, a lot of spread trades. Um, for example, if I trade spot versus futures, that is not a directional trade per se. Obviously, it does certain it does better in certain market conditions, but um, you, you buy Bitcoin and then you sell a Bitcoin future. If the, if the market goes up, you, you know, they, they move together, right? Um, 
kind of the same thing goes with uh, borrowed Bitcoin for the trust. You borrow Bitcoin, you invest in the trust, you sell the shares, you return the Bitcoin. So again, it's like market neutral. It does well in certain circumstances, like you can test it through a VAR model, all that good stuff. VAR is not going to teach you anything <laughs> about, about this because it's too new of a market. And I don't know how like the premium would fit into VAR, but there are some ways you can think about it, right? Um, and that's how we, you know, that, that's how I kind of, we kind of conceptualized it. Um, uh, but then over time, the thing is, it, uh, like I said, it was a credit boom bust cycle. Um, at first, it was very hard for me to get like 10 million to borrow. Um, but then uh, over time, the uh, uh, Grayscale was the name of the trust. There was an affiliate group called Genesis, both owned by DCG, the same parent company. And Genesis's job was to provide financing. So they did lots of borrow and lending. They had an OTC group as well for spot trading, but basically borrow and lending. And they worked together to lend to invest in the trust. So DCG actually enabled them to take more and more leverage to invest in their trust. And that's kind of where the whole thing went wrong. Genesis, which was owned by DCG, was loaning these guys money to invest in the trust, buying Bitcoin at a discount. Um, and because of this business model, they would go out and say, you know, we understand the trade you're doing. Uh, we're going to lend you a lot more than what we did before, uh, hundreds of millions, right? Um, at the end, billions. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't just that. Uh, there were other groups that came up um, because the borrow rates were high, because their spot futures was trading in the you know, 20 to 30% range, and the grayscale premiums are trading in the 30 plus percent range. Um, there are lots of firms that just pop up out of nowhere to be able to provide more borrow. And that's Celsius, Voyager, BlockFi. So these guys started to lend the, these guys money to invest it in, 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 in the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Then what they started to do was they started to buy tokens from layer ones. And I, I want you to hear this because you need to question your layer one and decide whether your layer one was actually involved in this. Listen to this. Um, and so just to give you, I'll, I'll just finish this and then we can talk. But the, 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 the idea of a, a layer one is um protocols like uh avalanche uh solana uh near you know what so ethereum competitors let's say um they raise money in an ico they have a lot of their uh token in their own treasury and they want to diversify it so they would sell it to groups like me at a big discount 40 to 50 percent discount but with vesting three to four years something like that maybe two years that's unhedgeable risk there's no future. There's no liquidity to hedge this. You can't borrow that amount. It's just a risk you take. And still seems like a good trade, right? Like if you believe the market's going up, if you believe in this protocol, uh, if you believe that they can take those dollars and do marketing or build their platform or hire more people and build value, then um, it looks like a very attractive trade. And so for us, we found several protocols that we liked. We did very sizable amounts with them. And that that's, became that's, another source. That's layer ones pre-selling their tokens with long unlocks to these guys. All right. So then he says, where did it all go wrong? It all went wrong when Luna collapsed. We know what happened when Luna collapsed. The credit markets closed. All the creditors started to call back their money. A lot of people just made money because the token went up. But probably around $15 billion of which was, was dollars that went in that, that then got wiped. Right. And um, or, 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 I don't know. It's hard to say exactly the amounts, but I imagine it's a big number. And um, 
And that led to a credit squeeze. So for me, it was a hit. I put 200 million in, uh, it went up to 600 and then went to zero. So it was a hit, but I was a four plus billion dollar fund. So like it wasn't an enormous hit. The hit came when credit got squeezed across the system and a lot of uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all the layer ones started falling by you know, 40, 50% each. And uh, all the lenders started recalling. Um, again, not a huge problem. We returned everyone that recalled during that period. Um, it took a month before we uh, you know, had to file for liquidation, but the- uh, Okay, so let's talk about what these guys actually did. So what was their mistake? One, we know for sure they didn't take any clients' money. So they didn't commingle clients' money, uh, et cetera. They, as far as we know, and again, I don't know, have the facts, but as far as I know, they didn't commit any fraud. And as he says in the video, six months later, there's been no fraud charges brought against them, no criminal charges brought against them. What did they do? They were too bullish. They took too much leverage. And as a result of taking too much leverage, when the lunar trade unwound, unwound and the whole market squeezed the leverage, they couldn't pay back their leverage and it blew them out of the market and it left a $2 billion hole in their balance sheet. Question is, were they dishonest? Were they fraudsters? And if I look at all of this, I'm not seeing anywhere where these guys were fraudsters. They made a huge mistake. Terrible, terrible mistake. They took way too much leverage. They were overconfident. And as a result, we had huge market implications, which we should blame them for, but we should also blame all the people that gave them all the unleveraged credit for being greedy and just giving them more and more and more credit. He says it himself. He says, if you look, let's just quickly listen to what he says. He says, we didn't have any investors. It was all our money and our family's money. Listen to this. You run a hedge fund, you know. Like hedge funds have like have investors, right? And you have to report to them and you have to tell them all your confessions and when you mess things up and it's very it can be very humbling. And you just you just had, you know, we're here to make money, you know, it's like we're a prop trading firm. We're, we're a partner fund. Partner funds are right Yeah, they were a partner fund. They didn't have any investors. In fact, he says here he says the only people that lost money were them and their their family, um, and not actually they didn't blow up any of investors' funds because they didn't take any investors' fund. My family lost the most in this, followed by Sue's, followed by our creditor list. Um, and and if he compares it, if he compares it to FTX, he says. Look, listen to what, what they say about FTX. Um, so like it, it, for him, I mean, he, he took client deposits, right? Um, for, from the exchange to the prop trading firm, he was insider trading against them. He was printing money. Um, he didn't even have the coins a lot of the time. He would just print them and then short them like into people's liquidations or whatever. Um, so to the extent of that fraud, I mean, to me, it sounds like a, a black swan, but frankly, I agree with you. If we zoomed out to multiple cycles, then you would see this was a credit bubble. Credit bubbles, when they pop, they, you know, you see who's swimming naked, right? And surely there's going to be like one or two frauds in there um, that, that. So, I mean, okay, let, let's summarize it. So you got these guys, they were co-founders, they made a lot of money and then they were over leveraged. They got overconfident and they lost a lot of money. They were irresponsibly leveraged. They lost everything or they say they lost everything. And we'll only know that when the liquidation is finished. And right now they're facing liquidators. The liquidators are liquidating and there's a $2 billion shortfall, but they do have some assets and they're trying to obviously match the assets or trying to maximize what they get for the assets. Meanwhile, these guys are trying to rebuild and they're trying to build something. Now, the question is, are these guys 
investable. On the one hand, they were completely irresponsible. They showed no, no, no understanding of risk management whatsoever. They were so irresponsible that they almost took down an entire industry because they took so much leverage. They had no risk management systems. On the other hand, they did achieve huge returns um, through this leverage. They did take a whole lot of smart bets and it was the lack of risk management that let them down. They didn't lie to lenders. They said they didn't, they didn't, uh, look, maybe, as far as I know, as far, I'm just, from what I'm reading, they didn't really lie to lenders. Lenders knew exactly what they were giving their money for because lenders felt safe because they were going into the DCG trade. So on the one hand, you've got a bunch of, of, of people which are, which were bad risk managers, which caused a whole market collapse because of their bad risk management. And that affected millions of retail investors, which got hurt. Now, on the other hand, you've got entrepreneurs who are quite smart, were once successful and have been humbled and hopefully have learned a huge lesson. Now, the question is, are those type of entrepreneurs actually backable again? I believe that backing someone who's failed is a great strategy, especially if you think that they're going to succeed. We also saw like people like um, uh, Andreessen recently invest in Adam Newman from, from WeWork. Now, you'll remember that he had a very similar story where he built a company and through his mismanagement and negligence and whatever else, he blew himself up. Yet a couple of months later, or a couple of years later, A16Z, which is one of the biggest funds in the world, backed him again and didn't only back him again, they backed him with the biggest check ever. So tomorrow I have a call with these guys. And the reason why I made a call with these guys is not because I'm saying I'm going to invest, but because I want to hear more. I just want to hear what they're doing. And I want to understand whether these are backable entrepreneurs that have failed before and have been humbled and have learned a lesson, or whether these guys are still the same cowboys that were that have poor risk management, poor financial systems. And I mean, I guess that we can't really dispute that these guys were pretty smart because people who start a business with a capital of $1.2 million and then a couple of years later have uh, billions of dollars may be pretty smart. So what am I doing right now? I just want to hear more. Let me know what you think. Let me know wh wh whether you think it's worth hearing more and let me know if you would invest let me know in the comments below in the meantime i do see that people are saying that there's a massive green candle on avax yo we there is a massive green candle on green candle on avax is there a massive green candle on bitcoin as well or eth no it's just avax ah, it'll come back it always does i hope so i hope it does if not great because all my other the rest of my trades are going very 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 well um, let's look at some other things that are happening in the market. Silvergate, they reported losses of a billion. A lot of people are watching Silvergate Bank. Let's quickly go and look at Silvergate Bank. I think it was on my watch list. Uh, up 16% um, after their results. Um, I mean, this could be a bank that has turned the corner. I kept saying to you guys, at some point, I think Silvergate's going to turn. Um, maybe it has also seen a bottom. Maybe it, maybe it has also seen a bottom. Again, a lot of people were worried because this may be linked to FTX, um, et cetera. Um, you've got, uh, this 29% of millennials in America already own Bitcoin. I mean, on the one hand, that's great adoption. On the other hand, that does show that you're no longer early. Like when one third of American millennials already own Bitcoin, that means that you're no longer early. So, I mean, you go look at both sides of the coin. 
Then you've got GMX. Again, look at their fees. Um, this is what happens when there's a little bit of volatility and people actually start to trade again. You see the platforms start to make huge fees. Uh, you can see that yesterday they did uh, $300,000 worth of fees. Last seven days, $563,000 worth of fees. So that's quite big. Um, optimism, a lot of activity on optimism. Um, I've been watching the token price of optimism. I don't like the tokenomics. I don't like a token tokenomics, but just say, let's have a look here. The price of optimism has been going up and up and up. So um, let's just have a look at this. Oh, man. Okay, I think it's frozen, but let's just see if we can get another chart here. So this is the last 90 days. Optimism has doubled in the last uh, couple of days. Last two weeks, optimism has doubled. And there's a lot of activity on optimism. A lot of people are being very, are, are very positive on it. I saw this. I mean, to think that Sam was a vegan um, and they ordered nearly $7 million worth of food in nine months. I mean, how expensive is vegan food? James, you were a vegan, weren't you? It's cheaper. I don't understand how they spend $7 million worth of food, $7 million on food. I, I don't understand it. I really don't understand it. Um, someone says, yeah, it's the Banter fam counter trading me. Are you, are you guys trying to short squeeze me out? Is that, is that what's going on here? Is, is that what's going on here? Is that what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable because I am expecting some kind of pullback soon. And then I'll, I'll dump this, uh, I'll dump this, uh, the shorts at some point. As I said though, I'm not too worried about the short. The reason why I'm not too worried about the short is because if this goes up, it means all the other alts are going up. And I've got so many other alts that a small loss here is not going to hurt me in, in the big scheme of things on the rest of the portfolio. And also not everyone, not, not every trade is, is, is a winning trade. Um, what else is there? Jump exiting their Lido position. It looks like it. Uh, I wonder why, because there is a big narrative around Lido. And I did see, let's just quickly look at, oh, here, by the way, we're talking about Koti. The Jed stablecoin launches around the 23rd of Jan. So I, I was watching this price earlier just to see. It also, I think, doubled. So it's, no, it's 50% up. It is climbing pretty steadily. So I wonder if this has got something to do with it. Yeah, I wonder if it's going to do this. Anyway, I will see you guys again tomorrow. Until then, have fun. Trade well. And listen, going into the Rolex competition, remember, you can just go to any Crypto Banter video. Until then, the go to the link below. Sign up with the Bybit link or the BitGet link. Um, here we go. Here it is. So you can see it. Sign up with Bybit. Sign up in BitGet. Um, yeah, someone says here, I love your show, but please don't promote scammers. I'm not promoting anyone. I'm not paid to promote anyone. All I'm saying is I'm not writing them off. I'm definitely going to have a phone call with them. I want to hear more. That's it. That's all I'm saying. I'm not investing. If I am, if I am investing, I will let you guys know. But for now, I'm just, I'm just listening. And the reason why I'm listening is because I think there's nothing more dangerous than an entrepreneur who's smart, humbled, learned a lesson and got a point to prove. And again, I say this only when I say this only, 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 only when if there's no fraud and if they didn't misrepresent their investors and if they, there was fraud and if they did misrepresent their investors, if, if that's the case, then I think these guys must land up in jail. But if that's not the case, then I do want to hear more. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Someone says, let's keep one Rolex in South Africa. Let's keep one Rolex in South Africa. I wish I could control it, but it's not me. It's the exchanges. You guys need to trade. The more you trade, uh, the more you trade, the, the more entries you get. Yeah, people say yeah, banter became stronger after the lunar crash. No more shills since we have been a lot more sensitive since the lunar crash. We really have. Um, 
too early to know about fraud? Mm, I think it's six months. I think in six months, I mean, if you think about SBF, the fraud charges came about one month after his liquidation. These guys are six months. Yeah, so let's see. Um, cool, I think that's it. Sign up for the promo. I'll see you guys again tomorrow. Until then, have fun. Trade well, my friends. James, your opinion is the only opinion that counts. And you know what else counts? This fucking short of mine, which is getting killed. Jeepers. <laughs>